Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You know, it's amazing. It, It amazes me that we can ask these dogs to go out there and work their tails off for us. We shoot a bird. They go out there, they pick that bird up, they bring it back to you and hand it to you. And look at you and go, there you go, boss. And they go back and do it all over again. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, Gun Dog It Yourself. Here with me, as always, is Austin. What's going on? Man, it's a great day. Great day to talk about some bird dogs. Absolutely. Well, uh, we have a nice surprise for you guys. We have our very first interview coming up today. Yeah, we have uh, OTB. Old Timer Bill. He's a legend in these parts. Uh, Honestly, guys, this guy is the epitome of an old time grouse hunter, Tennessee grouse hunter. And basically, he's doing... uh, what what I believe is consistent with the R3 movement that we have right now, and Nick can hit on that a little bit. Yeah, you know, the the, the retain recruit and everything, the, the movement to get more people involved, Bill kind of is the epitome of everywhere you go, people talk about, you know, getting more people involved and introducing and taking new people on hunts. And then, you know, sadly, more people talk about it and preach about it than actually do it. Well, Bill actually does it and you can tell he has a high passion for for grouse hunting but it seems sometimes that he even has a higher passion for sharing that with other people and getting them involved right i mean that's how we got to know him yeah you know nick back what was it two three years ago you yeah it's, it's been a few years now yeah nick tried to start a uh rough grouse society chapter here or just try to see what the interest would be like in middle tennessee and um sent out an email and um bill was one of the first ones that that came and and showed interest and i can remember at the first meeting and that was shortly after 
I met you. I, I came by uh, to check out the meeting, and Bill was there, and that's where I met him, and that's where you met him, and uh, our relationship kind of hit off from there. Yeah. he, You know, we were just trying to gauge the interest on an RGS chapter here in Tennessee because, unfortunately, we, we don't have one, you know, strictly to Tennessee. And uh, he drove on a weeknight an hour and a half down just just for a meet-and-greet type thing, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was brand new to this world, and he took the time to talk to me. He took the time to, you know, explain what he does and what why he enjoys it and everything, and he invited me to go hunting with him in the fall. And, you know, an invite is one thing. Following up on it is completely different, as, as we know, you know, trying to get involved, finding these mentor type of hunters, it, it's hard to do. And, you know, he, he really is the epitome of it. And I, I think if the Upland world and just the world in general have more people like old-timer Bill out there, I think, it, you know, it'd be a better place to live. Absolutely, man. So sure. he, you know, we're going up to Wisconsin this fall, and he's going out of his way to make sure that we have the best trip possible because he's familiar with those parts. So he's going over maps, he's sharing points, you know, all the stuff that... Send an Onyx. Send an Onyx points. Yeah, and Google Earth, everything. He's sharing all the knowledge that he's gained over 50-plus years hunting these birds. And, you know, the average person doesn't want to share one of their grouse covers, and he's sitting here giving us, you know, the payload, essentially. And And so, guys, that's... Uh, when we did this podcast, we went we went to his uh, uh, home and he he had us a nice uh, dinner there and basically the the point of us going up there was so that he could share his information. Yeah, it's it's very selfless of him and I think you guys are going to hear the passion that he has for these dogs and the passion for sharing this sport and the pastime and you know he invited us into his home with his family and showed us around. And I mean, you couldn't ask for, for a better guy and a better environment. I mean, the guy's house just, I mean, it bleeds what he's passionate about. I wish y'all could see the man cave. I mean, this guy is a true do it yourself trainer, hunter, and just, uh, I've, it was a great memorial to really all the hunts I feel like he's been on, you know, in his time. I mean, it's awesome he's, seeing stuff. He's like accrued that. a bunch of bunch of grouse fans and and mounts and just knowledge over fifty years doing this. And you know, guys, he's been doing this for fifty plus years in a state that's not exactly known as a grouse hunting state anymore, at least anymore. Yeah, back in the day, it was it, it was you know, pretty good. But now he's still just as passionate about it as he was 20 years ago. Uh, but you know, he puts in the time and effort and, you know, he, he, he got a grouse last year and he was just as excited as, you know, I've ever heard him just after one grouse, you know, a lot of people would think one grouse in a season crap, like that's, that's a lot of work, but you know, he lives he for got this one stuff. Tennessee grouse, one Tennessee grouse. Yes. yes. Yeah. Year. Good correction there. Yeah. But, uh, guys, I, you know, not to talk him up, you know, nonstop before we get to him, but, you know, he's been very pivotal in my learning and getting into the sport and my growing passion for it. And I appreciate him taking the time on having us up there and sitting down and talking to us. He is, uh, he's been doing this for, for, you know, like we said, 50 plus years. So a lot of his training methods, they are a little old school, mixed kind of new school. Uh, different methods, you know, some methods necessarily we don't do, but that's what I love about this because 
everybody has their own way and their own proven method and their own blueprint. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everybody has different results and it's what they want out of their dog and what they're comfortable with. And, you know, the results, you know, are there. He, he puts down birds throughout the year, especially when he gets up to Wisconsin. So you can't take anything away from him. And there's just more, more than one way to skin a cat. Right. So, guys, y'all are going to hear everything from how he picks a, a puppy as far as um, what he's looking for in those parents and, and lineage and what Nick hit on there, his, his training methods. And then I think he's going to be a recurring guest for us. So uh, we, we didn't get into all the stories. He's got some stories. We're going to save the stories, but you get a few, and I think you're going to like them. Yeah, yeah. He, he'll be back on, but, guys, we, we hope you really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and get on into this interview. But before we do, you know, as usual, find us on Instagram and Facebook under Gundog It Yourself. Leave, leave us a rating and review. Uh, tell us, shoot us a message. We can take criticism. Please, if you don't enjoy it, let us know why. Uh, hopefully it's something that we can improve upon. And, you know, if you have any suggestions, questions, we're already getting some people coming with us with, you know, Hey guys, can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? And that's, that's amazing for, you know, us only being out for a few weeks. So we definitely appreciate that. And we're writing it down and we're going to make sure that we try and cover that the best we can. So, uh, just keep it up and yeah, come follow us and share it if you don't mind. And those reviews go a long way for us. That's right. Y'all enjoy. Yep. Let's get to it. Hey everybody, this is Nick and Austin with the GDIY Podcast. We're actually coming from you on the road from Cookville, Tennessee, and uh, we're joined here with the one and only OTB, Old Timer Bill. He's uh, he's notorious in these parts of Middle Tennessee. He's He's been grouse hunting and upland hunting for uh, probably, what, 200 years now? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Right after like I that. got off the ark. <laughs> right off the <laughs> So he's got plenty of experience, and he's actually helped me get into uh, this wonderful world of grouse hunting over the past few years. And Austin's joined us on a few hunts, and he's kind of, kind of learning a lot from him as well. And so we're excited to get a chance to come up here and visit with him and his family, and eat some good food, and talk grouse hunting, and getting ready for our Wisconsin trip. We got a lot of homework. It looks like yeah, Bill, Bill set us up right. <laughs> Yeah. He's printed off all kinds of maps and uh, given given us some pointers, so we're going to go home and do our homework and get ready for this thing. Yeah, we have a lot to review, but uh, Bill, thanks for having us up here. Oh, absolutely, guys. It's a pleasure to have you guys here, and it's always a pleasure to be with you guys in the woods when we've gotten to go out, and uh, I look for more of it. Yeah. Uh, dadgummit, I just wish I was going to Wisconsin this year with you guys, but as you know... The reason I'm not going is I'm gonna be grandpa. So anyway, that week, yeah. So uh, that's a very good reason to miss miss your annual trip. Yeah, and I've got to talk to uh, daughter and son-in-law about their timing going on in the future. But anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what happens there. And they uh, couldn't have planned that out a little bit better for you. Well, we'll be celebrating your first birthday of a grandchild next year in Wisconsin. So look out. There we <laughs> go. Well, well, for you listeners out there, Bill goes to Wisconsin. Every year, the same exact week, chasing these grouse and woodcock. 
He's a uh, he's a setter guy. He's been doing this for years, and he's got three English setters and a Gordon setter right now. That's it. Uh, a couple Shelties that you know they even have a grouse flush to their credit right. as well. That's right. Not everybody can say that. How how do you train your Sheltie to flush grouse for you? Uh, you know, it just seems to be uh, she's picked it up. Uh, we actually had her out on conditioning runs with us. Uh, she's watched the other dogs work from inside a vehicle and. Uh, even when she was just a few months old, uh, we were in Wisconsin. And we put the other dogs up, and uh, we wanted to let her out to uh, to uh, get out and run around. She'd watch the other dogs. She actually worked down the road just like a, a setter would and turned around and worked right back up the road. Uh, it was hilarious to watch, and uh, so it was just it's just been a lot of fun. Of course, she's a good little trail dog when, uh, when Miss B is uh with me and and out and uh, sticks with her but uh it's, it's, it's kind of amazing she thinks she is one of the she is thinks she knows she is what one she's doing <laughs> she yeah. knows what she's doing she thinks she's a bird dog yeah, she does well i'm sure you planned on that when you're picking her out absolutely yep. <laughs> well uh do you want to give you know kind of introduce yourself give everybody a quick rundown of you know what got you into bird dogs and how long you've been doing it if you can remember that far back if i can remember that far back right after i get off the ark is that what you said <laughs> yeah. no it was uh actually uh in uh, mid-70s um and my father had uh, had had done a lot of bird hunting in the 50s and, and that kind of thing and professional changes and uh, had transpired and and he hadn't got to do that a whole whole lot uh, because of changes in jobs and uh, came home he came home one day with a uh, little pointer and uh, it's probably about 10 12 weeks old something along those lines and uh, uh, Pedro was his name when he got there. We decided to put a little East Tennessee uh, change to the name and called him Buster. <laughs> <laughs> you got an English pointer named Pedro that's really Buster. <laughs> the really Buster, that's it. So anyway, uh, we just we just did the swap. Um, and uh, from there, I picked up a little literature here and there and uh, did a little bit of library research and just, you know, picked up some books. Really didn't have uh, anybody who had trained their own dog that we hunted with uh back in those days uh there were quite a few birds around a lot of guys had dogs and the dogs that went out picked it up with instincts or sometimes they made a bad demise okay had just the, the times we, we certainly don't like that attitude today but that was the truth you know and uh, uh it's kind of sad but uh we were talking this a, a little bit back uh dogs are actually better today uh, and uh, because of breeding and those, but back in those days, it was real easy to get a bad dog because mm-hmm. Bubba wanted to breed his dogs to his cousin Bubba's dogs, and uh, you got a <laughs> bunch of dogs that mm, maybe they would hunt, and maybe they wouldn't, but they got better opportunities because simply there were more birds, more opportunities. Right. So, so you started with the pointer, real young. When did you get into setters, and when did you really become the setter man? Well, I, I went with one more. About five years later, I got another pointer, and um, and uh, she was a really good dog. And uh, but I found myself as I was approaching the age of thirty, and you know our electronics and what we had to train with in those days just wasn't up to where we are today, too. And uh, I figured out real quick that I was losing speed and I couldn't catch a run a pointer down like I, I could in the past. Plus, I wanted a slower dog. I wanted a dog that worked more with me. 
and I love the instincts of the pointers because they were they were instinctive. Okay, they learned to point early on, and a lot of their uh, a, a lot of their training was instinctive. And and just wild but, bird contacts because of wild bird contacts, and just because of the breed, it was more instinctive with those dogs. It seemed setters uh, took more finesse to train, and I found that out really really quick. Uh, it was more difficult when I when I started getting into the setters. There was more time involved, and again, this is in that time period and in those days. Uh, just just the the difference in the the, the dogs and the breeds. Um, and so I had to, as I transitioned from pointer to setter, I had to relearn and rethink in the processes that I was going through because to me, they trained differently. So when you realized that you needed to transition and change up how you did things, did you do that just firsthand experience and process of elimination or did you find some books or did you finally find somebody that could guide you? You know, how did you go about figuring that out or was it just... Really, it really became trial and error, okay. you know, and what I found with the setters where it took a little longer, you know, it took a little longer to get the, and again, we're talking about that time period, the bloodlines and those kinds, it took a little longer to bring those setters to where I wanted to be. And it, it became kind of trial and error in what rewards and what, the, how the dogs responded to reward, um, it was, you know, and I'm talking about praise and those kind of things, not not shoving something in their mouth because I don't I don't think that's going to do what you want it to do. I think praise goes, and there are other rewards that that can come into play. One of the things that I found early on, and I, you know, I trained with Birdwing, okay, on a rod, and the thing that I had with setters with getting the point was getting that staunchness. And um, what I learned from that staunchness is that the setter was really rewarded at the end of the point if he got something in its mouth. So what I would do is get the dog, get it pointed. If she wasn't going to point that bird ring, pick it up, put it back, pick it up, put it back, pick it up, put it back. Finally got the response that I want in the hold and would flush the bird wing swing the bird wing back around to my house, bring the dog back to me, back to my hand, take the bird wing, and actually let that dog hold that bird wing from my hand in its mouth. Okay. And uh, that then reinforced that. Once I kind of got that going, then the, the old technique, get the dog on point, when we start to creep, come in behind the dog, and a lot of times I'm doing this, so I've got a long rod, I've got like a 12-foot rod that I use to do this come in behind the dog and pushing the dog mm -hmm. on the butt. You know, a lot of people don't understand, but those dogs react to the resistance. Yeah. And uh, those were those were one of the things that uh, that uh, uh, early on that was a change in how I did things, just getting the pointing. Uh, were you doing those things with the pointers? I did well? not have to do those with the pointers. Okay. The pointers were strong. They would hold. They would hold, and they would hold. Uh, you've seen the old cartoons with the – Dog standing there with a skeleton and the and the the uh, skeletons of the Bob White Covey there. That's the way my pointers actually were. They would hold those points forever, mm -hmm. and uh, they but they would range wide, like I say. But uh, amazingly, uh, amazingly enough, you know, and again, no beeper collars. They were bells. Okay, yeah. I still love bells, and uh, but uh, 
that first uh, pointer, he'd go on point, and it was like screaming out, Buster, where are you? <laughs> Buster would actually move his head yeah, so that I could hear where he was. And I give could go to him. The jingle. And he would give me the jingle with his head, just very, very light. Yeah, listen close. I couldn't hear that today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. So there was, a, I guess, a, a handful of times you had uh, to go on a little explore, you know, ex, uh, exploration oh, trying to find them. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you fell in love with it with pointers, but then kind of what we've talked about over these past few weeks is having the breed that fits your hunting style the best. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so you, you figured, wow, the pointers are great, and mm-hmm. they're arguably a little easier to train. Right. But the setter's hunting style was a better fit for you and what you It was. It, it, it really and is. So, so really that's is. what made you change the breed mm-hmm. instead of, you know, setters are kind of thought of as the quintessential grouse dog. Anyway, the rough grouse dog. And so I And, you know, in in in. You know, after we got off the ark, there were only <laughs> there were only pointers, pointers and setters. Yeah. That's it. Okay, That's it. <laughs> That's none of these German no. dogs or Italian <laughs> dogs. And they had tails. We don't know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they got caught in the ship doors on There's the way something, over from something Germany along or something. something along the lines there. <laughs> okay, so you know when you decided that you're moving uh, from pointers to setters, what? What did you go about doing to pick out your dog? You know, we know that you decided on the setters, but what was the thought process in finding the line or breeder, or was there a thought process? What you know, I know you know, two hundred years ago was a little bit different time <laughs> than now, but uh, you know, what what did you go about doing? Did you just go find the first setter that you you know, heard hunted, or what? My, my first setter, I'll be absolutely honest, is I had nothing to do with picking that dog out or finding that dog, okay? Uh, I am uh, blessed to have a wife who has supported me over the years. And so um, on my birthday, uh, my first setter, she knew I was eat up and I wanted a setter. Uh, our other dogs were aging. I'd been talking about setters, been talking about a setters. She was, we were living, of course, in East Tennessee at the time in Morristown. She was teaching school in Knoxville. Uh, she picked up this setter uh, from in Oak Ridge and brought it home and it popped out of the car. Uh, she, I think she actually sent me, a, she said, there's something in the car for you. <laughs> and so I go out in the car and here's this beautiful white setter with some, some uh, uh, tipped uh, orange ears and uh, just ready to uh, to take up and uh, and be loved on and and uh, ready to go to the woods and that was his we we named him because he came out of Oak Ridge because we weren't really following bloodlines per se at that point in time so we just gave him a name nuclear reaction that is the name that's on this awesome <laughs> <clears throat> yeah that's awesome um, his um, his first you know we 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 hunted with him. And we were hunting, still hunting pointers at the time, and he had a hard time ranging with the pointers. And I think that's something for folks to to understand at times what dogs you run together need to pair together. <clears throat> so, in his um, in in a couple of his first seasons, things could be a little frustrating for him because the birds were pointed by the time he got there, and we were winded by the time we got to the dogs that had pointed the birds, backing, doing mm-hmm. good things like that. He was really good with that. And uh, but we got him out some and hunted him by himself and got some uh, got some uh, quail points, got some grouse points and, and those kind of things. Uh, but I will remember his first uh, his first um, 
uh, quail point was on a single. Uh, I shot the bird. The, shot, the bird uh, had swung out of his hook side to shoot the bird. I didn't realize he'd just flown off the bluff over Cherokee oh, Lake. <clears throat> so it falls 20 feet into the water. Oh, no. And so we actually did walk him around and uh, walked him around, put him on a leash, or put him on a lead. I had a significant lead with me um, and uh, let him. He actually swam out and retrieved that. So his uh, his first uh, point and his first retrieve were uh, over water and back. So water, water retrieve. Water retrieve. So, so. Th- there you go, people. Side note, some setters do retrieve. And swim. And swim. So they get a bad rap, but we we know people personally that have seen it. So just had to, had to interject with that one because we know Joe, the producer, sitting here, you know, envious right now, like, oh, setters retrieve. One of these days, Joe, one of these j- days. But uh, so after that one, when you're kind of phasing out of the pointers, did your process change as you went to the next few dogs? Did you start learning? I mean, did your selection routine change as you went along? Or did you just, you know – all you cared about was it was from hunting lines. What I cared about most that it was from hunting lines. It was from some dogs that I'd seen, some dogs that had good, you know, background, uh, some some background on back. I wasn't interested in the field trial dogs being the seeing the second generation, none whatsoever. I wanted them back maybe four or five generations, but I did want some dogs that I that had reputations and some things that you know out of. Um, out of uh, 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 dogs where we knew and we had some idea uh, folks had seen or I had seen, so I wanted to to pick from that. I wanted to see maybe some work from those dogs and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of what so you had personal experience, some personal experience, and some folks that I could trust. Because right, well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you get got one of your puppies home just kind of walk us through your typical routine and process and timeline of, of the puppy you know which yeah. you wouldn't just obviously <laughs> bring it home and start shooting over it on day one. Oh no absolutely but, not but what were some of your main things that you focused on when you first brought the puppy yeah. home well the, the to, to, to get i guess a little bit back before that my target is to have that puppy at 49 days okay i want that i want to pick that puppy up as close to 49 days as i can now, several years ago, and I can't quote verse in scripture on this, but there was there was uh, research done in five periods of uh, of a puppy, and uh, how they develop from a time they're born, and uh, what goes on in the mind, their development, their physical developments, and uh, this was done by uh, some folks who were doing it for guide dogs, seeing eye dogs. What was the best time? And they nailed 49 days as the perfect day to get your dog. That's what they that's what they came up with in the period because they're saying that at 49 days, that dog has developed its full ability to start learning. Okay? It's not physically there, but at 49 days, that dog has the ability to learn. Now, it knows things previous, it knows human voice, it knows, you know, to come when it's going to be fed, you know, and those kind of things, but for it to actually start learning at 49 days. Uh, 
and from 49 days to 84 days there's that period that you work with those dogs and it's kind of a play period okay and i do a number of things you know i'm, I'm out there with that bird wing you know and i do have obadiah who's the youngest setter out here i've got pictures of him what four and a half weeks old pointing a little bit of a bird wing now he had no clue what he was trying to do but by the time he was seven weeks old I've got him with the bird wing. He's pointing that bird wing. I'm giving him all the praise and love and everything I can. You know, the other thing I do, and some folks don't agree with trying to do things with uh, pointing and retrieving at the same time, but I get that puppy up in the hallway. I don't take a ball. I take a sock, okay? I fold that sock up in the hallway, and it's no time that playing, he's bringing that sock back to me, and he's developing that rapport with me. He starts learning that 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 hey this is fun, and and they they want to learn in that age forty nine to eighty four weeks they want to learn because it's fun for them and that's the mindset in the puppy, it's fun let's do this now after about eighty four days to one hundred and twenty some days they start to test you a little bit mm -hmm. and that's when the reinforcement and those kind of things you, you you've developed that rapport with the puppy from forty nine to eighty four days. You got that going with them, that can carry over. And I think a lot of guys can can make some mistakes. If you're if your intent is to raise that puppy and develop that relationship with that puppy, that's what you're doing. You're thinking you're their God. The other thing is I do when that puppy comes home with me, right over there, yeah, where we're in in the very room that we're in, that incliner comes down and that puppy sleeps with me at night. Okay. So we're for the first two weeks, it's underneath my arm. It doesn't have to worry about whining or anything like that. If it starts to rustle, we get up, we go outside. You know, we we start to learn these things that are going outside. But that puppy is right here, imprinting on them pretty yep, much. Imprinting. Now, have you done this with all the the setters and, and pointers with, you got? With from from Amos and all the setters that I currently have. They have all the, the, the three setters, the three English setters, the Gordon setter. We've done that with all of them. Uh, and, of course, the Gordon was considered Beverly's dog. <laughs> that's, a, that's another story. But she was right down here with me, with, with her. And uh, so, anyway, the, the same thing. We went through that process, you know, right here, you know. So, and, so you do that for, for a while. I know you have... You don't keep your bird dogs inside the house. We do not. You have but, you have a nice kennel set up outside, but I'm wondering how how and when do you go about transitioning to that? We, we we have this joking thing, Beverly and I do, that when we bring a puppy here, okay, that the puppy is all clean and white and goes down by the kennel and looks at <laughs> and all the other setters that have at one point in time been in the house, they're all kind of snickering going, yes, yeah, sucker, it won't be too many months before you're out here right beside us but really we try to push for somewhere around uh around nine months to a year before they go to the kennel so really we, we like that okay. you know i've actually got an area out here in the garage i have a thing called a puppy playpen okay that is it's a kd thing i'll set it up out here yeah we only do this every four or five years but i have it it's down in in a building uh, away from the house so when we're away that it's got a little room to roam a little room to, to excuse itself or whatnot because we won't really start trying to do uh, the the small kennel 
until a few months, but maybe before we're going to start doing trips where it's more required in what we do. We give them a little room to, again, excuse themselves. It, it's, it's tough on a puppy. They got a lot of... So you're got, only doing the crate training then in the months yeah. prior to a big trip somewhere. Prior to a trip, we'll start the crate training. I'll start bringing them in. I'll even... I do, uh, we're home, I'm home usually three days out of the week over the weekend, and I'm usually home on Monday with the way my job is. So I'll create them and bring them in during those times so that they get that, uh, they understand they do that. And then uh, a few weeks before we even go, I'll do the same thing. And uh, so, uh, yeah, they, 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 they start getting the idea. And it's kind of interesting to watch. And I know you guys are getting ready for your trip planning it's going to be fun your dogs are going to instinctively know that y'all are getting ready for something yeah. and the attitude in your dogs are going to change and you're going to go they know something i don't know how they pick it up but yeah. they know <laughs> they definitely know when they're about to go hunting i can tell you that <laughs> yeah if we're waking up at 3 30 in the morning oh no, no. it's exciting this, <laughs> oh, but this, this is a you're few, talking months or weeks ahead well, of time this is a few weeks ahead of time it's just like that you know there's a change in their demeanor they're just they're just getting ready and they you well, know, I just they know started, something's up. I just started last week again, waking up at 5, 5.30, getting the dogs out before work, you know, getting them in conditioning or training Lucy for the utility test and just doing it for two or three days. They're waking me up at 5, 5.15 a.m. again, just jumping on me ready to go. And, you know, it's 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 really kind of neat just seeing how quick their routines and patterns change when they realize, like, okay, it's, it's game time. It's, go it's, time. It's, it's time to go. Let's go work. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, so you have the puppies, you put them, you know, you've been working on the bird on the wing, you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, the old school method from back in the art building days and everything. But, uh, what, what is your thoughts on the gun introduction? You know, are, are you of the old school kind or more the new school that has the bird drive, teach the dog and you want to fire off in the background with them? Like, how do you go about doing that? A method that I've used since I have other dogs, and we all go for whatever you want to call it, a happy timing run, and I'll have a crimp 22, and I'll start there. I get those dogs all out running. They're all out running, and that puppy's paying attention to the elder dogs, the elder dogs, and I let them get 50 yards away, 40 yards away, something along that. I'll fire that 22 crimp. The other dogs will show a little bit of excitement, actually. No intimidation. That puppy sees those other dogs. That's nothing to be worried about. And so I slowly graduate that up over, and really within a couple of weeks, uh, I'm kind of doing the same thing. But again, I'm getting them a little bit closer, uh, but, but I'll do it. What I'll do is let them get closer with the 22 cramp, and then I'll graduate to a 28 gauge. And I start the same process. You're out 40 yards. They're they're out running, and uh, and uh, then <clears throat> then uh, they they start to get excited about that. They they see the other dogs. Hey, there's something going on here. They're excited about this. I should be too. And the other dogs seem to teach them that way. Then when I come back and I've got I feel confident with it, I'll take the 22 cramp. I'm on the bird wing. As I'm flushing the bird wing, the 22 cramp goes off. There's this association. I love seeing this bird fly. I want a bird fly. The cap goes off, and the bird wing goes into my mouth, the things that I want. Right. So that's kind of a 
it's like a, a mix between the old school and new school method, I think. It's, it's, an it's awesome, baby steps, yeah. gradual, but the key word he said there at the end was association. Right, positive association there. Yeah. So. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to talk about when um, you get the dog home, uh, I'm assuming you mentioned that you're keeping the dog in the house for maybe nine months or so before they go out to the kennel runs with, with the other dogs. Um, I, during that time period are they in that fun room that you were talking about or, or where where are they doing when you're not at the house they're 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 kind of in what we call this puppy puppy play pen okay you know so out in, in out room. in our garage area yeah okay yeah. i didn't know if there was a um a time during that period where uh you may have a small crate you know in the house at all or anything like that we we haven't in the past and it's just just the way that we've done it I can see the merits of doing that, to be honest, you know, and having a crate because when we're home, when we are home, those, uh, those pups are running around with us they're, you know, they're, they're getting that, you know, association and, and we're just having a big time in the house and playing and, you know, uh, chasing the cat outside if that's what we need to do. So just having fun. Being just a having pup. fun. Yeah. yeah. So after you do the gun intro and everything. Is there a certain specific time that you have in your mind that you want to get that dog out in the woods chasing birds? I mean, is it as soon as they show point? Is it as soon as you see that they're fine with gunfire? You know, a specific age? Like, what what goes off in your head that says, okay, it's time to get this dog hunting? When I, when I see that that association and I've moved that, that puppy closer to me with the uh, with the firing of the, the 28 gauge and um, – uh, and I'm talking as early as, as 14 weeks. Uh, I, actually, 14, 15 weeks with all three of my current English setters. They have all had uh, bird shot over them and gone to the bird, picked the bird up, and retrieved it. Just Wow. Just, you know, uh, absolutely instinctive and bring it back. And you're talking about the praising and loving. And mm-hmm. Nick has been around with me enough to know it's – it's uh, oatmeal cream pie time. Oh, yeah. Celebration time. He ends every single hunt with an oatmeal cream pie for every single one of his dogs. And anytime I'm telling him that my dog did something good or we're working on this, he always sends me the same thing. OCP time. Oatmeal cream pie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's his reward. The dogs know. But, you know, I'm surprised that as smart as they are, they haven't realized if we end this hunt and get back to the truck quicker – I don't get that oatmeal cream pie sooner. Uh, they know it doesn't work that way. Okay. All right. <laughs> so do they only get one then if, if they have a successful hunt, or is it every time? If if they've just had a good hunt and, you know, work. And these dogs do. You know, it's amazing. It, it amazes me that we can ask these dogs to go out there and work their tails off mm-hmm. for us. We shoot a bird. They go out there. They pick that bird up. They bring it back to you and hand it to you. And... Look at you and go, there you go, boss. And they go back and do it all over again. They, you know, and they go do it again. And it's like, why so, didn't you just eat that bird? You know, I don't know. To think about. It's, it, it just, it amazes me that loyalty, you know, yeah. you know, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, at the, at the end of the hunt, you know, it's just, uh, uh, they, they just sense that they're at the, they're at the corner of the cage. Okay. But I think my dogs just have that drive. They want to hunt as long as they can hunt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, then when they're back in, they know it's over. You know, they seem to sense when it's the last day, because every time on the last day that we're going to be hunting, 
they're all sitting up on the tailgate, you know, and, and they're not jumping down or not running around. So this way, you know, I sit up on the tailgate and they just hover like, you know, it's not, it's not really it, is it? But it's <laughs> do like, we have to go? Do we have to go? Do we really have to go? So, mm-hmm. it's, it's <laughs> so be, being in Tennessee, you know, Tennessee used to be known for, you know, really good quail hunting and even really good grouse hunting back in its day. With the Tennessee that we live in now, how does that change your habits of training these bird dogs? I know you make the trip up to Wisconsin every year, but it's still hard to make a dependable hunting dog on Absolutely. just one week of bird contacts. Absolutely. So what it, what do you go about doing that, and what are your thoughts on We know I, living living in the in the plateau area and, and of course we had quail we had grouse at one time and, and like you say nick it's it's diminished so much uh for a variety of potential reasons not all of them that we know the answers to um and uh, some that some that we think we do but but yeah it, it's it's painful and so at this point um you know i will actually try to get some birds i've got some you know we'll buy some flight birds and I've got some guys that have some farm here or there, and a couple of times a year they want to they want to shoot some birds, and so my dogs will get to go do that, you know, um, and we'll do that. I'll make a couple of trips a month to uh, East Tennessee. Uh, now we've arranged to do that to get up into the mountains. I've got a brother-in-law who's familiar with uh, North Cherokee, uh, top to bottom and back and forth. Um, and he is a very healthy 68 year old and uh, uh, just talking to him this week it's another story but talking to him this week he's planning another trek on the Appalachian Trail for probably about five days by himself and wow. so anyway I've got him in the North Cherokee I've got some folks down on South Cherokee that uh, have lived in that area all their lives now they're starting to point some areas out there one of those guys uh, with me last year uh he was he, he he got to shoot his first grouse in his lifetime, and over a point, uh, even though he's well versed in the bear dogs, the coon dogs, and every squirrel dogs, he's got them all in his backyard. And uh, but uh, that was his first, so he knows those uh, he knows those woods in uh, South Cherokee just all over. So, uh, so did he sell all the hound dogs and go buy a bird dog the next you day? No, he's not there yet. <laughs> working on that. We're working on that. So, uh, Bill, when do you start doing uh, more formalized basic obedience? You know, uh, we've talked a little bit about just building that rapport. Um, when do you start going into uh, some of the more formalized type obedience? At, at about 84 days. Okay. At 84 days. And that 84 days to 120 days, that's when that, that brain is just really ready to – it's ready to learn. But that's when you have to go formal because the rebellion – uh, or the teenager in your puppy starts yeah. to come out, okay? And uh, we, in, in, in those times, you have to be careful with what you have in distractions, okay? Uh, get the cat out of the yard, get the other dogs out of the yard, get everything else out of the yard. You, complete control. Com- complete and absolute control. Uh, and uh, getting on a lead leash, uh, those things that we learned back in the fun days now are going from it's fun to this is what's required this is how you're going to earn your groceries pup so you know what what are the basic commands that you teach for obedience 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I do start with the, the come and stay. And we, of course, we start those at, uh, as early as we can. But it's, uh, in particular, at 49 days, we're starting those, you know. Um, come, stay, um, whoa. Um, do you teach sit? I do not teach sit. I've okay. never taught sit now. The other family dogs have been around that, yeah, they teach them sit. But I do not teach sit. Um, just never gone to that. Um never really felt the need to now i know you guys that use your dogs for uh for retrieving purposes yeah that's a good command and and i'd recommend that but for my dogs and my purposes uh it could be counterproductive from the standpoint of teaching it to sit and then it wants to sit on point and uh sometimes we do have to wrestle with that a little bit because we're picking that dog up and picking Mm -hmm. that dog up and picking that dog up and uh, we, we go through those. And that usually happens in uh, after you've, it, t- it seems to me, after that we've exposed them to some birds and uh, they get a bird pointing and now they're wanting to, to lay a little bit low. And it's just my thought process and the reason I don't teach it is that that can kind of enhance that. And I want my dog up on all fours. So. Do you teach heel at all? I do. I do. I do, I do teach heel. Uh, you know, uh, do you, when do you start that? Do you wait until the field search is developed, or is it as they as that, that just young age that we were talking age. about earlier? Yeah, it's a young age. You know, come, stay, heal, uh, stop. And I teach stop. Okay. So you do stop I, in addition to whoa. In addition to whoa. Okay. okay. And and the 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 first trip that we had uh, into Wisconsin came in really really handy. First stop, and Amos was three years old, but uh, I'm not sure he would have he would have stopped on whoa, but he hit out of that kennel. He knew he was somewhere, and it was exciting. And he had the first place he headed was toward the road, toward the highway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did the command stop. He stopped dead in his tracks. Looked back at me like, "What to do?" You know. But it was it was a command that that. I demanded, and there have been two situations where I've stopped him that kept him, one from running out in front of a dump truck, and in that particular day, running in front of a logging truck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was going to be end very abrupt end had he not known that. And I don't think you can, you know, stress enough the importance of being able to stop your dog uh, for its own safety. Now, had he been introduced to the woe command at that point? He had. Okay, yeah. so you you use yeah. those two uh, I, commands in different scenarios, yeah, obviously. Yeah, it, it, I use "woe" uh, in conjunction with "gain." Period. Okay. Okay. And if I sense something, and again, uh, if I sense something that's not quite right, uh, Wisconsin's got a few porcupines. Okay, <laughs> got a few porcupines there. And again, uh, one of the first trips we had uh, out with him, he incurred his first porcupine and he had always played with the cat i was i was ready for this how i knew that's what he had because he went into that little waggle point and i kind of want to (laughs) play and i screamed to stop at him and he did to his benefit and he probably was about five feet from the porcupine it was a small one uh and then it climbed the tree you know but i was able to stop him um 
two years ago in Wisconsin again. And we don't we don't cross paths with porcupines that much, but they are there. You're going to see some crushed on the road. Right, uh, so w right now, I'm just trying to do a, a summary then of some of the commands you use. It's mm -hmm. you, is it here or come that you use? I use come. Okay, come, and mm -hmm. you'll do heal. Yep. Uh, stop and woe. Right. And anything else that you introduce early? Later, uh, you know, and, and I guess really a little later on. Uh, and, and I'll start this when I put them on. I'm trying to uh, develop when I want them to range and when I want them to make that turn. And I use the term back when I want them to change directions. And uh, So you're putting a steering wheel on so the dog. So I'm putting a steering wheel when I want to, when I want to keep them within the, the, the range that I want. If they're going too far out, my command is back. That means they need to focus back. If I need them to change directions, I use the same same term. Back. At, at any point, do you overlay a whistle with your commands at all, or is it all just verbal? Uh, I don't. I don't use the whistle, and and they they become familiar, and I teach them the whistle with that once they've gone be outside, because my voice um, is more attached. Okay. Right. But I will start to use that whistle with them for their attention more than anything else you know um kind of break it, through their thought process to break through and also to maybe get beyond the range of my voice if that's what's necessary yeah okay know? and i you know, like i said carry a whistle with what i do i don't utilize it that much if a dog is mia i'm, I'm on the whistle and mm -hmm. uh, well i know we're kind of bouncing a little bit back and forth on this on hunting the basic obedience and everything i just probably poor hosting job on our part we're still getting used to this we now. are we're, get, we're getting the we're getting the rhythm down but uh y'all can forgive us when you know everybody has a different opinion on the level of steadiness that you train a dog you know different organizations require certain level of steadiness and then you know a bunch of hunters swear but you know they want that dog right on the tail feathers when it's flushing what's your preference and why I want my dog to hold that um, point as long as that bird's holding. If that bird is moving, I don't want it right on its tail feathers, but I want that dog to be cautiously moving toward that, particularly with rough grouse, okay? Because that rough grouse is going to move and move in whatever direction it wants to. If it senses that dog is back there and it's running, it's going to run probably to some cover and try to hold. And if that dog can move it to, if, if the dog, if the grouse is running and moves to the edge of the cover, he locks in because he doesn't want to cross cover. And, uh, but I want that dog to understand. And, you know, that comes by experience, I think, with the dogs. Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, rough grouse are unpredictable. Let's just, you know, cause today they may let you step on them. Okay. <laughs> and, you know the same bird two or three weeks those there's some that have phds by the way <laughs> and uh they uh so it's just like they people. may they may fly 50 <laughs> they may flush 50 yards it just depends on their on their right. mood for the day before you ever get there and there there are other factors that play into that but you know a dog needs to move and you need to be moving because you know uh, and, and i've not pheasant hunted i'm not sure how that works in that uh, with with some of the guys and how they do that, 
from what I understand is pheasant, they like that because they need to be close to that pheasant to get it to lock down, for it to not to move any further. With a grouse, I think the intent, you need that dog a little bit further back and that dog hopefully and over time instinctively comes to a point that it, and it's all experience for both of us, none of which we get enough of because, mm -hmm. you know, our exposure. But that dog will point back far enough to where it knows that grouse will hold. You don't want to crowd and, the bird. It doesn't want to crowd it. No. So I'm more intent, and when I'm working with the dogs, I'm trying to set those dogs back, uh, usually somewhere around uh, uh, probably, I'm going to say about uh, seven or eight yards from the bird, if at all possible. And as they get older, I want that set back into that scent cone. That's where I want them. Right. Yeah. So do you have a point that you're training these dogs? So, like, the dog goes on point, and when the bird flushes, are you letting the dog break point when it flushes? Or are you waiting for the shot? Or are you waiting to the fall? What, what's your preference on that? I like for my dog to feel like they're actually part of the hunt, okay? <laughs> and uh, I like for them to feel like they're part of the hunt. So when that, when that bird comes up, uh, I don't mind that dog moving. That, that, that scares me from time to time. You've got somebody that's hunting with you, and that's the caution that you have. You've got somebody's hunting with not familiar uh, with the dog, and, and if somebody is is new to the sport, I'm cautioning them. You know, right. You know, it, until, that, until that bird gets over shoulder high, head high, we're not pulling trigger. If it goes low, mm -hmm. you know, you, you leave that bird alone. Okay, mm -hmm. right. and so that's so that's, think, that's the prayer meeting we have before we hunt with somebody new. So. Right, so steadiness after the shot, you're fine with them breaking. I'm fine and with when them they breaking. flush. But mm -hmm. what we we're talking about before, it's not necessarily you. You don't want them to stop on first scent necessarily, no. depending on no. what your type of you game you're hunting. Close enough to no. hold them, but I, not far enough. I want to, them close enough to hold them, and and yeah. you know, and and you know, this is a, this is where I like the long tail on my dogs because <laughs> I I know what they're thinking. Okay, after after they're about three years old, I know what they're thinking, and and you can do that. I know you guys are able to do that because I, I can do that as well with some of mine. Amos has a certain pitch to his ears. Okay, mm -hmm. when I see the back of his head. So you guys that have the tailless dogs, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, sure he's that, got a monstie now. I was about to say uh, one yeah, of my dogs has a tail. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But uh, anyway, you know. But but that's part of the intimacy and in you having that dog for a lifetime and you and you being that part of that dog's life is is you read that dog and every one of them can read a little bit differently. Yeah, you know. it's all about that relationship and it knowing is. what your dog looks like on point and just being able to read the dog. Well, we wanted to get you on and just kind of get the intro introduction out of the way because I think you're going to be a guest that comes on a number of times on here. Uh, Hopefully so we, a few times in the field. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, or, or grouse, camp. grouse camps. So, you know, we just want to do a quick introduction, basically how you handle these puppies and your thoughts on training. But, uh, you know, I, I think the people out there want to hear at least one OTB story. You know, what what's one of the pointing dog stories that – what's the first one that comes to your mind? I know you have a million of them, and I think you can give a, give a teaser on one real quick. What's the first one that pops up into your head? The OTB, the OTB story. I guess it'd be the one I right away that I share with you. You know, was uh, we uh, just happened to me this past year, and uh, in Wisconsin, 
uh, work in a, a, an area that has always been productive in the past. And uh, um, he was productive that day. Uh, walked in, uh, Obadiah's on point, uh, about 40 yards or so off a trail. And uh, I walk into him and uh, I look a little further down and I see uh, Mandy that appears to be backing. And uh, so uh, we, uh, I'm thinking she's backing. So I walk up to Obadiah. Obadiah's got a woodcock right, he pinned it right on the edge of a marsh. The woodcock takes flight directly out straight. It uh, gets head high, it gets a little over head high, shoot the woodcock. But Mandy is, did not have, was not backing. She had a grouse nailed. The grouse, as the woodcock is falling, the grouse is crossing. And I take that shot. And I'll swear to this day that grouse folded. I will swear to that day that grouse folded. <laughs> but I can't take credit for the actual mixed double. That was one of my goals for that year. I missed an opportunity for a, a grouse double uh, a couple of years before. But I, I was going to dead game. I spent 45 minutes knee deep in that marsh. Three dogs digging through the, the marsh. And uh, so uh, we never find, we never find that grouse. And I'm just Man. dejected. I had brought Beverly in because a lot of times when I do that, I stop where I'm at. I hang a streamer, an orange streamer. I take a compass bearing in a direction that I think that it's failed. And from there, I'll walk straight out to where and then work my way into a path that I think it is. I worked those dogs again, 45 minutes. We didn't find anything. I come back, my shotgun's laying by the streamer because Beverly's there standing, you know, waiting for me and you come back. And uh, I'm dejected. I pick the shotgun up and uh, we head back out. There's a little trail there that she had come off of. And we go down another couple of hundred yards and Amos goes on point and uh, beautiful point Mandy is kind of in behind him giving him a back Obadiah hasn't quite come in yet comes in right on the last but as the grouse is flushing and I have two I have one that swings straight up to my right slightly to my right the second one starts up and forks off to the left throw my shotgun to the shoulder on the first one and I go click <laughs> the second bird is just a thought in my mind and uh you know going there was two opportunities to double oh no you know on on these birds i mean it's a it's a it's a rare deal for it to happen now did you give yourself an oatmeal cream pie after that no i did not <laughs> you didn't earn that one did no. you yeah. no i was come back around and he looks at me he took you yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took mine. Beverly walks up. You know, she's she's re was ready to take the photo. She's ready to take the picture, and she says, "What happened?" And outside of my Sunday school lesson, I told her very, very quietly, <laughs> "I forgot to reload my gun." Just about that voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that that'll make you want to go back the following year. Uh, well, Bill, we appreciate it. We're going to get you on, and we're going to hear a lot more stories, and uh, we're going to have some grouse camps this year, and hopefully we can find that rare coveted Tennessee unicorn there this year, find some more of them. And yeah, Austin, we're you got try. anything else? No, this was great. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us again. Right. And 
wonderful meal and we'll get out of your hair here soon well guys we like i say we're glad to have you guys here glad for you to come and uh look forward to to hearing more from you and uh hear more on your podcast and uh you know you guys keep up the work there's some guys out there uh i know a couple guys here in cookville in fact uh, i started to uh and just invite him over today he's got his first german short hair He's never had a German short hair before. He's never bird hunted. And uh, he's, uh, he's uh, uh, working with the dog some here just locally in Kugel. So uh, I, know we're looking for. I know he's yeah. added on. He's uh, like you guys. He's uh, tagged okay. on. So uh, I'll be in touch with him here in the next few days. Hopefully get him out here and, yeah. and, uh, with his dog and, and help him a little bit along the way with what he's doing there. So, so Great. Sounds good. Well, guys, we'll... We're going to wrap this up, and we'll talk to you later. All right. See y'all. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.